Welcome to Flavor 2. I'm Solomon Dubner. And I'm Stephen Dubner, recording today at the wonderful Radio Art Studio on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And we have on the line today a very special guest. He's one of the best-known and most accomplished figures in American soccer history. He's a longtime MLS player and general manager with an astonishing 96 caps with the USMNT to his name. He scored nine goals for the national team. He played all 90 minutes in the U.S. is four 1994 World Cup games, at which he was named an honorable mention all-star. He's been elected to the National Soccer Hall of Fame. He's now a broadcaster of the Fox Sports, and he's a proud lover of Slurpees and a ginger. Alexi Lawless, welcome. Wow, that's a that's a hell of an introduction. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank you. Did that uh, cover? Yeah. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. We left out the, your music. You're also yeah. you got a music career. You love that. I mean, you you you're a man of many. I don't know. I mean, talents, but other things, right? Talents, interests. Well, I don't, know, I don't know if I'd call it talented, but uh, <laughs> I can do some. I can do some different things. But but today I am excited to be on the uh, the pod here. Well, we're thrilled to have you. You know, our um, so this podcast began. I don't know three four years ago. Not when, even no two years. Two years ago even. when Sol- basically it's Solomon. You know, I know more about footy or footballs. We call in our family. We'll call it soccer with you. Yeah. I know more than the average American sports fan, but I'm not a fanatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The boy is a fanatic, and yeah. so he's educating me. And so we are thrilled <laughs> to have you show. because uh, you're, you're a legend. So, you're Simon, legend. you want to ask oh, Alexi the first uh, question? Yeah, just tell us about what, what I'm curious about as a kid in America who loves soccer. Nowadays, especially in big urban settings like New York— Mm-hmm. It's very accessible. I think out of all my friends, soccer is the most popular sport. Part of that probably is the people I choose to surround myself with. But overall, the city is very accessible. But you grew up before me and in Michigan, outside Detroit, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So how was it there growing up, maybe not having as much access to the sport you loved, and how did you really fall in love with it? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in uh, suburban Detroit, and I grew up doing all the things that kids still do to this day. I had mom and dad coaching and orange peels and juice boxes at <laughs> halftime and travel, soccer, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also was really fortunate that my father's Greek, and uh, we grew up going back and forth between Athens and Detroit. And so when I was in Athens, uh, I spent when I, my, my, much of my younger years when I was in Athens, and I was this American redhead kid that would go down to the corner and just stand on the corner of that proverbial sandlot type of experience and wait until they picked me. And it took me a while. And eventually, someday, a guy didn't show up, and so they put me in goal, and I didn't speak any Greek, (laughs) and eventually, then somebody else didn't show up or whatever, and so then I was able to work my way into the field, and and that whole Sandlot type of uh, sporting introduction to me was how um, I got, how I grew to, to love this game, but... Then I grew to love the the American version of soccer, as we mentioned, which is a unique and different type of upbringing when it comes to soccer. And um, I certainly didn't grow up thinking that I would ever play in a World Cup or be a professional soccer player. I was much more enamored with, well, in Detroit, it's the law. You got to play hockey. I played a lot of hockey <laughs> growing up. So it was the Red Wings and and basically 80s metal bands and, and, uh, and musicians that were on my wall as opposed to soccer players. Hey, where do you get, when you throw uh, the octopus on the ice, where do all those octopi come from? I don't I've been curious. <laughs> They, well, look, they, they sell them. I love octopus. Being a Greek, uh, a Greek I love a good octopus dish uh, and that whole, tradi- <laughs> that whole tradition. I mean, I'm sure somebody has a real good business when the Red Wings are doing well and there's cause to throw it on the, on the rink. Of late, uh, they haven't been doing so well, but who knows? They have a brand new uh, arena that's opening in Detroit, so maybe it's a step in the right direction. All right, so this is a tangent, but as someone who loves to eat octopus, oh, the whole mm-hmm. family. does it bum you out when you see good octopus waste, wasted by being thrown on the ice or you are? 
right with that. It's a, yeah, it's a waste. And I see them scoop it up with that shovel. And I wonder, <laughs> well, because you know, gr- growing up in Greece, I'll never forget moments being on, on docks and seeing uh, these fishermen come in. And the way that they tenderize octopus is literally to take the octopus and slap it down against the, the hard stone. And so I wonder, if, is it just another form of tenderizing octopus? And will those octopi that are pulled off of the uh, rink in Detroit uh, ever find it find their way to some sort of skillet with a nice little uh, oil and oh it's just so it's just, it tastes so good so I, I hope they're not wasted but I, I fear that they they only find their way to the uh, the dustbin. Mm-hmm. Speaking of tenderizing octopuses, octop- <laughs> octopi, octopi. <laughs> um, Great segue. <laughs> I was I was gonna br- w- save this till later. I think every interview you've done since a few weeks ago has probably come up. The rant. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let's talk about it. So. My my main question is: Can, can Solomon and or Alexi? Can you give a little context, uh, yeah. Solomon? Why don't you try to explain uh, this? Since Alexi might be a little biased. <laughs> yeah. Um, so pretty much, you said it was before the I, if I remember correctly, the Sounders in the Galaxy game. You were talking about how badly the USMNT has been doing recently in qualifiers, how we're in danger of missing out on the World Cup. And you got very angry at the players, saying things <laughs> that I really agreed with, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So. A lot of things were true. One thing that really interested me was you caught when you said Christian Pulisic, you caught him out as Wonder Boy. You didn't include him in the main yeah. rant. It was obviously meant to be derogatory. And I think we can both agree he's an unbelievable player, especially sure. if you're an American. Sure. And he has the ability to go very far. But what do you think about his attitude and how far he he'll carry well, himself? Well, first, first things first. Um, uh, I, I would take issue. I don't think that it was derogatory. Uh-huh. I, I, I understand how people could see that. Um, but in, in general about this, uh, first off, uh, I make no apologies for the fact that I am a performer. I am an entertainer on television. How, how, oh, no, but how I say things uh, is as important as what I say. Uh, it, but that doesn't in any way mean that what I say can't be genuine, uh, honest, and authentic. And this came from a place of certainly a history when it comes to this team. Uh, it is personal to me. And it came from much more of a reminder as to the responsibility that these players have. And let's be honest, I'm not necessarily telling them anything that they don't know. Mm -hmm. But it's okay to be reminded every once in a while that they have a responsibility and they are on the brink of doing something good in terms of getting to another World Cup. And I don't want them to waste it because one of the reasons why I'm talking to you today is because of the 1994 World Cup. You weren't even alive back then, but, (laughs) uh, but back then the World Cup was held in the United States. It was one wonderful and it changed my life. I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual, but also it changed soccer forever in the United States. It was a wonderful platform. We took a hold of it with both hands and we didn't let it go. We embraced it. Four years later, in 1998, I was part of a team that didn't grab a hold of that opportunity and it hurt soccer. And I never, uh, the one thing I regret is being a part of something that was detrimental to soccer in 1998. And so this was just a simple reminder. And yes, in a theatrical type of way to those players that they have an opportunity on here and they are on the precipice and I don't want them to waste it. I want them to recognize that responsibility and to go out. And by the way, I think they're going to do it. They got two more games here in the hexagonal. I think they're going to go out, get the points that they need, at which point I will be the first to congratulate them and to pat them on the back within reason because keep in mind, they would only be doing what everybody else has done since 1990, but they did right the ship and they did recover from, as we mentioned, a a bad period of time. 
and then they go on to the World Cup. And then they can tar and feather me for all, for all I care. They can scream and yell at me. They, they won't, but they do have a responsibility. And there is a, a, an element of talent and a needed leadership from all of those players, whether they are the grizzled old veterans in the, in the uh, Tim Howard and the Clint Dempsey mold or the brand new kids uh, when it comes to uh, Christian Pulisic, who is a, a wonder and is, yeah. and is living up to the hype. And I can't wait to see him develop. And I hope he plays as well, continuing with the national team as he is playing with uh, Borussia Dortmund right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my next question you touched on a little bit. The one thing was, are you going to be a, soft, a bunch of soft, underperforming, tattooed millionaires? <laughs> <laughs> and it's something that made sense to me. Like, it reminds me, you know what Roy Keane said about how a few years ago, Arsenal, their players care more about six-packs and selfies than the actual football or soccer here. Um, you, but it makes ge- you sound old. It makes you sound old and grumpy. I get that. <laughs> your generation... Um, you guys had you weren't treated as as far as I know as much as superstars as these guys are. You didn't have the best treatment, the best facilities. These guys, like you said, they ha- they're having everything given to them, and they're on the verge of squandering. So, how do you feel the the supposed pampering maybe of these players really? Does it give them complacency? Does it make them smug? What do you really think? I'm actually proud of the pampering that happens. It doesn't mean that I can't point to it. And and I ended that rant if you if you saw by by throwing in the get off my lawn yeah. because I knew how it was going to be perceived. And I, and look, I know I'm the older generation, and oftentimes I looked at that older generation and said, "What do they know? They're not going through what we what we went through." I'm so proud that there's a generation that doesn't know all the things that we went through. I'm so and I don't I don't need them to to, to recognize or respect the fact of the, uh, their elders or anything like that. The fact that there is a generation that grows up with facilities that we never had, with uh, soccer on television that we never had, with coaching that we never had, with a culture when it comes to the soccer culture in the United States that's no longer underground or niche. It's above ground. It's vibrant. It's passionate. It's discerning. I'm so proud of that, that they have that. And this was just, once again, just a, a simple reminder. And the tattooed millionaire, uh, here, here's, uh, here's, here's something that pe- people should know. I- I'm, in the, you know. I'm looking down at my ankle right now. Guess what? There's a tattooed, there, there's a tattoo down there. At one point, uh, in my in my career, I was soft too, and I was underperforming, and I needed to be called out on my BS. and And it's okay. And sometimes it happens from within, and sometimes it happens from the outside. And it's okay. And they're gonna they're look. They are regardless of their age. Uh, they are uh, they are big boys. They can handle it. They will handle it, and they'll get the job done. And they'll get us to Russia where they deserve to be. And then you know, then we'll and then we'll see what we do next summer in Russia. What's your tattoo? It's actually so. When I was a kid, uh, I remember reading books, and I remember reading these things uh, about family crests. And I was so uh. bummed that in my little <laughs> suburban existence, that my family didn't have a family crest. So I started writing this this symbol octopus? on all of my books. Is it an I, octopus? It should have been right. Yeah. It should have been right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all about the tentacles, and we could have each <laughs> tentacle represent a different part. So I wrote it on my books and my clothes and all that kind of stuff. And so then it came time, as it often does when you're, um, you know, let's say out as a uh, as a as a college student and, you know, you're doing things you probably shouldn't do and it's late at night and all this kind of stuff and it seems like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Rather than get, you know, Yosemite Sam on my, on my ankle or something like that, I said, well, I might as well get something that means something to me and that is unique and that nobody else has and so that's what, it, that's what it, uh, I put on it. All these years later, uh, I mean, if I had to do it over again, would I get it? Nah, probably not. <laughs> so I I just have a quick follow on the the rant, which I which sure. I just thought was fascinating because it's the reason to me that a network, Fox Sports in this case, would hire someone like you because not only job, do yeah. you know 
the the you you've done it yourself, right? There obviously there are a lot mm-hmm. of former players, but you understand the dynamic um, from all the dimensions, and you can speak to it on a number of levels, which I think is you know what sports commentary should be at its best. What I want to ask you is, I know at least a couple of the guys responded through the media or social media. I know uh, Pulisic and, and Bradley, but I'm just yep. curious. What more you may have heard from other players, and, and but that's the narrow part. The broader part I want to know is what is your relationship like with the USMNT? I mean, you are amazingly, sure. you know, for a lot of American soccer fans, you are still the face or a face of the USMNT because of your historical accomplishments. And so you've got a foot in at least a couple of worlds, and I'm just curious how you navigate that. Yeah, I mean, I think I am, <laughs> I think I'm tolerated, <laughs> but but I think that there is a begrudging respect mm-hmm. um, because I, you know, while at times I, I, I am critical, that's part of my job, it's what I'm paid to do at times is to be critical. I'm also paid uh, to be fair, but I'll tell you a little story. When, when my kids were really young, um, they learned the phrase, nothing personal. Mm. And so what, what they would do was they would say something horribly mean and then follow it up with nothing personal. So <laughs> like you're saying, Offense. And they say nothing personal, right. and and I had to explain to them that that doesn't mean that what you're saying isn't mean, or that it won't hurt somebody's feelings. Yeah. And so I try to recognize that it, when, a lot of times when people are in our business, they would say, "Well, it wasn't personal." I think yes, everything is personal. I am a human being, and I am criticizing other human beings. Of course, it's going to be personal. Of course, I'm going to bring my biases. Of course, I'm going to bring my baggage and my history to what I'm talking about. To talking about people, and so it's it's not a it's not a get out of jail free card when you say it's nothing personal, whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult in the in the business that uh, that I'm in. My relationship, look, at times people agree with me, at times they don't. I have had every. I've had players, I have had players' wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, fathers, mothers, siblings, grandfathers, grandmothers, uh, friends, um, crew, if you will, <laughs> come up to me at different times and say things to my face, say, uh, say they disagree with me. Uh, some of them have done it in a respectful way. Some of them have done it in a disrespectful way. I've had it to my face, behind my back, online, uh, e- email, whatever different form, smoke signal, everybody has had their, <laughs> had their piece. But that is that is part of my job. I love talking about this game. Yeah. I love having debates about this game, disagreeing, arguing, going back and forth. I love taking that argument that we have on the bar stools or on our uh, on our couch or on our uh, bus to school or whatever and trying to take it into a much more formal setting. It's 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 not easy, but it's what I love to do. And I also recognize that with my words, um can come repercussions, and I am responsible for their uh, words. And some people might take my words one way and unintended, uh, the, uh, or in a way that I didn't intend. It, 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 it doesn't matter. I have to be honest with myself. I have to, have to be honest with my viewer while recognizing, once again, that I am in the entertainment industry. And how I say things is as important as what I say. And, I, and, and it's important to be both entertaining and informative in whatever you're doing. As we mentioned before, Alexi, you work uh, with Fox, and some mm-hmm. of the things you cover the most are the MLS and the Champions League. So, who do you like this year in the Champions League? <laughs> well, so, so I, a, you have uh, Real Madrid. No, no, it's it's okay because this is the world of soccer. Yeah. And, and when I when I was talking about the American soccer community that's above ground and and so discerning, I also think that in terms of uh, of the world. 
I, I would put the U.S. soccer community up as the most intelligent soccer community. I would too. Are you because, I would too. because we have I to. I would too. Yeah, because we have to encompass all of the world and we're constantly comparing and contrasting. English and there are fans. other countries and cultures that could care less what's going on in other places. Mm. We, because we have grown up without soccer being king, have always had to get it from different places. Now we have it both domestically, but we also have our international mm. affiliations, whether it's national team or whether it's leagues abroad. So when it comes to Champions League or Europa League uh, or FA Cup or EP or La Liga or Serie A or Bundesliga or any of these types of things, it's all part of our palette. I, and that's why I love about Americans, yeah. the American soccer culture. Yeah. So when it comes specifically to Champions League, look, you got Real Madrid trying for three times in a row. It was oh, amazing God. that they did two in a row. Uh, they're struggling now in La Liga. I mean, I guess struggling. It's, We're it's relative. We're fans you, in case you don't know, just to make sure Okay, so you know. listen. So Barcelona. Barcelona, I mean, the, the little engine that could. Oh, poor little Barcelona. They lost <laughs> Neymar. Are they going to be able to do it? Don't worry about Barcelona. They're going to be fine. Although they had to rely on a uh, own goal yesterday yeah. or whatever. Or yeah. whatever it was. But it's, it's going to be just fine for Barcelona. They're going to come through, especially now because you've got a Bayern Munich that's, that's, yeah. in the, uh, that's having problems. Ancelotti just got, uh, just got fired today, the day, we're, the day we're recording this. So uh, there's a lot of different things going on. And then you have PSG. And I think if PSG doesn't get to at least the final, it's got to be considered a failure given the amount of money they spend and the talent that they have at their disposal. Yeah. But there's still going to be those types of elites. Yeah. Now, the I English City. teams are going to be very, very interesting. So how the Chelsea's and the Manchester Cities, who have also spent a lot of money and certainly are cruising along right now uh, fight on a multiple fronts and all those different things. So it's always a, it's always fun to see who ultimately is there in the end, especially with the crazy money that exists in the yeah. leagues now. If I'm, you had to bet today, if you had to put down a bet of, let's say, $1,000, one team, mm-hmm. who do you pick? Barcelona. Uh, for safe you, money? I mean, is it my money? Yeah, <laughs> is it my money? Is it yeah. your money? Your money. So if it's, if, if it's sure. my money, I'm, sure. put, I'm putting sure. Real Madrid. Oh, you, are, okay. oh, you just uh, broke a 17-year-old's yeah. heart. <laughs> no, but if but no, if it's I, your money, I'm choice. putting PSG. Really? Uh, yeah. No, PSG, because, I think, because I can risk your money. I'm not going to risk my money. <laughs> they have experience. I think Danny Alves, I, I think if I'm correct, he's won more trophies than any player in the history of football. Neymar, he's... The dude he's, is money. He's not young. Yeah, I mean, he's not old, but he's experienced. He's won the Champions League. He's been deep many times. Thiago Silva is an old, experienced player. They have the experience. The thing is, the club themselves, they need to really know that have that winning culture more. They were uh, shockingly upset last year in the league win title race. They haven't been to the semis of the Champions League before. Um, I think. How yeah. hard is it, you know, when Salman was telling me about, you know, Neymar, a lot of people were ridiculing Neymar for going to PSG saying they're not a Champions League champion caliber team Mm -hmm. and my response was again not knowing that much about football my response was well how do you think you become a champions league caliber team is getting people like him but um you know in terms of how they how i see this in american football let's say but all american team sports teams that do that, that have a big spike in uh in ability or accomplishment in one year you know a football team that's been 8 and 8 for a bunch of years suddenly they have an 11-5 season and then they get in the playoffs but it seems like experience is so valuable there do you think that PSG relatively inexperienced as a team, maybe not individually, in Champions League. Do you think they may crater, though, once they get into the to, to the later rounds? 
Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, I mean, who was the who was the baseball team years ago that just uh, went uh, the the Florida team, the Florida whatever? Is they, they won the World Series. They they you know they had Marlins, a really really good team. It? They right. yeah. So they yeah. so they they bought it all, and then and then it just completely went away. So it, it's it's one thing if you just if, if if the goal is simply just to win Champions League, eventually you're going to spend enough money and you're going to have enough talent that it's going to happen. But if the goal is to actually create a legitimate super club, the likes of which Real Madrid, Barcelona, the, uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, these types of teams are so that you can handle when it doesn't go well and it, eventually it will go well. That, that's a different story and that's not just about money. That's also about development and that's also mm-hmm. about having golden generations and having the ability in your development system, system to recognize those golden generations and to cultivate them into something that can last and can win a, can win a lot of games. I see, look, our game, as we know, uh, as most sports are going, the money just gets bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. And so the ability to buy your way in and keep and buy your way to the top is is absolutely legitimate. Now, what you mentioned about the the experience of any team, and we'll take PSG right now. So while they have individual experience, the collective experience going through that, yeah, that'll hurt them. But there's also a point where it doesn't matter how inexperienced you are at winning something. If you just have great talent, yeah. that that will ultimately win out. And and I think that this PSG team is loaded. As we said before, I think they'll be under pressure, but they should be under pressure given the amount of money. And the reason why Neymar wanted to go was not just all the money. Money. He wanted to run the show. He wanted to be the man. We've seen in the last couple of weeks this whole drama on the field with taking penalties and all this yeah. kind of stuff. You know, that's 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 going to come come and go. But one thing to keep in mind now is that when PSG plays their weekend games in Ligue 1, they they're not exerting a lot of mental or physical yeah. energy, yeah. and they can they can they can keep that and sustain that, and then use that when it comes to Champions League, which is ultimately where they're going to be judged. I see your point there, but one thing that it, on on the surface, it makes sense. One thing I was reminded of was uh, Pep Guardiola's first year at Bayern Munich. They won the domestic double. They won the um, Bundesliga way before the season ended, and they were cruising the Champions League. But then they collapsed against Real Madrid. The other thing yep. is the thing is, if you win the league too early, which PSG easily could this year, you you have nothing left. Like you're. you're you may have energy, but you're not focused when you've been strolling through for weeks. And then, like, you have a, a weekend game or two, and then you don't really care about it. And then you have Barcelona and Real Madrid away, and then you don't know what to do. So, do you think that yep. might happen? That I think could it's happen. A, it's, it is a it's a fine balance, and that's where a, a manager, an Unai Emery, Unai Emery. Or, or whoever whoever is whole, whoever is charged with that, has to be able. You know, in the past, like you said, it was it was Pep or it was it Ancelotti, and these these teams that dominate their domestic league, understanding if it gets to the point where you just are on cruise control, do you have the ability to take it off cruise control when you need to? And it's one thing to have something in reserve, but it's another thing to actually be able to access access that at a specific point. And that comes with understanding yourself as a player, but it also comes with motivation and leadership uh, for the, the coach, the manager, and those, those around you. And it, you don't know until you ultimately get there. You would much rather... You know, I, I always said I wanted to play more games, but that's also coming from a center back and that doesn't know, do as much running as midfielders who might say, you know what, I, I need some rest. And if you really need to be, me to be special in this game against a better opposition, then I'm going to need to rest as opposed to a center back that just kind of does his job. And I would have I would have rather played four games a week than train. I just never wanted to train. I just wanted to play as many games as possible. Um, we talked about PSG. The team they beat yesterday, Bayern, I'm just curious. Who's your pick for to replace Ancelotti? Mine, personally, I would... I I think they should go for Nagelsmann and Hoffenheim, maybe Tuchel. 
But who would you yeah, say? I mean, well, that's what they're talking about, right? I mean, uh, Nagelsmann Klopp, has, has been talked about for a while. I mean, so, yeah, I, I don't see Klopp. I mean, I don't think that that has run its course yet. I still yeah, think that he has uh, work to do, and I think uh, he has cachet still built up right now, and, and people are going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Tuchel, I mean, I, I don't... I don't know, but I do know this. Bayern Munich uh, is a well-oiled machine when it comes to how they go about their business. They don't do something if they don't have something uh, waiting in the wings and an understanding and a plan of what they are going to do. Uh, And they do not suffer fools. I mean, look, you got Arsene Wenger, who we talk about each and every year and every every week, it seems. uh, And no matter what happens, he stays. Carlo Ancelotti, who by all accounts is one of the greats, uh, certainly a gentleman, uh, obviously uh, has uh, an incredible resume. It wasn't getting the job done, so arrivederci. Ciao. Mm. See ya. Bye. Tschüss. <laughs> <laughs> Alexi, you mentioned how much the game has changed um, with money, especially in Europe, but in the States too, especially with the DP mm-hmm. slots and MLS. I'm just curious. Um, it's a two-part question, but it's really the same question. Do you kind of regret that you weren't born 20 years later, <laughs> so there could have been more money when you were playing? But really, that's just the narrow part. The broader part I want to know is do you kind of wish you'd been born 20 years later when soccer was has become a much bigger global and U.S. sport? Because I could see in one way the answer would obviously be yes. On the other hand, you were, it's not like soccer didn't exist here, but you were a pioneer right. of the modern era, and that's also awesome. So I'm just curious if you've thought about that. I have, and, and sometimes we'll get together us, us older guys from that generation, and we'll look at each other and say, "Can you imagine if we'll, <laughs> stuff that we would get up to now?" Uh, both, I guess, uh, I guess both the good and bad. I mean, if Twitter had been around when I was ro- when I was roaming around, I would probably gotten a lot of trouble, uh, and, and social media in general. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Look, I I I consider myself incredibly fortunate, and the the ability to have success in professional sports is not just simply how good you are. There's a lot of people that are good out there. It's about timing. It's about luck. I was born in 1970. Had I not been born in 1970, I wouldn't have been in the prime and po- and, and in the moment in 1994 in not just a World Cup, but a World Cup in the United States. And so there's, a, there's players now that are born that don't have that advantage. And while they have other advantages, they don't have that inv- advantage. I think now about the player that is going to star, if all, thing, if all things go right, in 2026 when the U.S. joint hosts, hopefully, with Mexico and Canada. There's going to be a player that's going to be given that platform and that mm-hmm. opportunity. And I'm so excited to see who that ultimately is. Now, Christian Pulisic will be in the prime of his career, but there will also be some younger players. I was 23, 24 when that all happened. To step on that stage, and not just the stage, but the stage in your own country, that'll be phenomenal to see. So I, I, that, the long, that's a long answer, but the short answer is... Nah, I, I, I don't regret it. Although I do think about how I would react and act given the climate that exists now, both on <laughs> and off the field. I mean, the, let's be face it, the way the game is played has changed. Yeah. And I think about moments now when I'm calling games and the way that video review has come into it now and the way that the game is seen and reffed and what, what the game is now. Things that I used to do, I could never get away with now. And I would have to adjust my game. But I also believe that if you're a good player, regardless of what era you play, you would be able to to adjust uh, to whatever the game is, both on and off the field. Good players are good players, regardless of era. Th- when you say things you would do, you mean 
committing violence on the field against the opponent. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, what what we considered a fair tackle is now considered uh, worthy right. of a yellow card, and yeah. in some cases, a red card. Yeah. And it's it's not right or wrong. The game has evolved, and the way that they, we are uh, that we ref the game, we protect creative players uh, much more. And I, I think that's a good thing. I mean, this isn't just a caveman type of our type of thing. Um, and and and. The, the understanding of what you could do just because you could do it, and not even necessarily always in my generation, even a few years ago, it changes to what you can do now. And the ability to adjust is oftentimes a skill that needs to be, uh, uh, that players need to have. Talking more about Americans in Europe, there are obviously some very promising ones Christian Pulisic, Bobby Wood, uh, John Brooks, and Weston McKennie are some of them. Um, sure. You, you were the, f- the third total, I think, the first. With like a fifty-year gap before the Maurice one American to play in Serie A, mm-hmm. so you could say that you helped pave the way for Americans to make in, in Europe. What do you have to say about how you got there? You like the big example of American realistic in Europe, I think, is the fact that we had the starting goalkeeper for Manchester United. Granted, it didn't go too yeah. well for Howard; it's only a year or two. Um, but yeah, you were the first American to really play a big role in Serie A. And how do you see the prospects of Americans making it in Europe in the future? Because Klinsman, when he was our coach, said um, players here need to play in Europe more because that's where you're going to get better. Well, I don't think that you need to play in Europe to be a good player or a world-class player. I I think you can do it uh, if you decide to play domestically. Uh, I do think that you gain uh, a level of appreciation and uh, the perspective... um, that, that people have of you is influenced and bettered by having that on your resume. And the perception of that player changes when a player plays in Europe. And that's, you know, that's a good thing. If you can have that at your disposal, uh, that's fine. As far as me going over to Italy way back then, um, it, it was a result, once again, of 1994. Those, those doors opened up on and off the field. And I, I, I tell you what, I burned it at both ends for a long time, and I took advantage of everything that came my way on and off the field. And the opportunity to go in Serie A, and sometimes people forget what Serie A was back in the 80s and 90s. It was the place to be. It was before yeah. the Bosman ruling and the opening of the European community. And the it was the place where all the great players were, where all the big money was. So after the World Cup in 94, I had opportunities to go to England, uh, Germany, and Italy. And it wasn't even a question. I was going to go to Serie A and every week play against what were perceived as the greatest players in the world. And it was it changed my life. It didn't just make me a better soccer player, but it made me a better person to live in that type of culture and learn a new language and be in that type of fishbowl that, that, and the pressure that came from playing over there. Uh, so, and, and, but... But that was a perfect type of situation. If your only goal is to play in Europe, there are flights leaving every hour on the hour from LAX and JFK. So go ahead. You can go do that. But if your goal is to play in Europe and to have it be beneficial, that's a different story where you go to a place where you're valued, go to a place where you can, uh, where you're where you're getting playing time, a place where the coaches uh, want to foster your talent and give you the opportunity to make mistakes, a place where you can handle the language and the culture off the field. Because we talk about the 90 minutes that pay, players play, we forget that other 22 and a half hours that they have to live their life. All of those different things, that's a different type of proposition. Can I ask you, you know, 
we know or we gather at least from what we hear that American players and American soccer generally is considered, you know, different by Europeans, sure. different on a number of mm-hmm. levels and the level not only the level of play player but the style of play. Would you say let's let's pretend that when forget forget about when you went over to Syria then. Let's say you were that player today going over to Syria or La Liga or wherever the Prem. Uh, and let's say that you were on an index of ability, you know, a 90 out of 100, right? Is there an American discount? Do you get considered more like an 85 simply because you're American? Sure, sure. I mean, and that's something that you have to overcome. It's not an excuse, and, and it never has been, and we've been dealing with that. I mean, there, I had the benefit in 1994 of coming off a World Cup, and that gave me a little buffer. Not much, but it gave me a little buffer because the, the players that I played with and against, they had seen me in the World Cup. So there was a level of respect that others maybe didn't have. And there's plenty of stories, and guys will tell you that going over as American, they wouldn't even pass you the ball or talk to you and all those different horror stories that guys had, and you had to prove yourself. And that's what's so impressive about Christian Pulisic because Christian Pulisic, in a matter of, let's be honest, a year, mm-hmm. has gone from being a good American player to a great player who happens to be American. Yeah. And that is a that is a feat because it took a guy like Brad Friedel or Clint Dempsey a bunch of years to get to that point. And and some players, some American players never get to that point. It's just always, yeah, he's good for an American. Do you um, think and, dis- and that's okay. Do you think the discount has therefore diminished? In other words, did Pulisic have sure. less? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if, if Christian Pulisic had been born in, uh, you know, I don't know, um, Venice, Italy or something yeah. like that, yeah. it, it, the, the perception <clears throat> of him would be different. However, I will say that the the international interest in Christian Pulisic, it's not just domestically and everyone, we're going gaga because he's American, but there is interest all over the place. Yeah. And I think there's a real recognition that this guy is a talent that any club in the world would love to have, uh, have on their books. But yeah, I, I, I think about sometimes the talent that has come and unfortunately, gone that was never given that opportunity for whatever reason, timing, luck, whatever, uh, you know, the, 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 the scout that one. was there left 15 minutes before the guy played, you know, because there's a million different things that can happen in, in, in terms of that path and they weren't given or they were just overlooked because uh, it's just an American. And that doesn't, that doesn't happen as much, thankfully, but that's, that's about progress. That's about evolution. So you get to the, you get to the point where people aren't looking at you differently because you're an American. Uh, we're going to move on to some listener questions. This the first one that I'm going to read, I'm reading now because it really links into what we were just talking about, uh, from our good friend Matthew Klimberg at Klimberg Calcio. Do you think Christian Pulisic, he'd be better uh, to stay in Germany with Dortmund, maybe even go to Bayern, sadly, in a few years, move to Italy, Spain, England, maybe even PSG? What do you think? I, th- I think personally right now Dortmund is best for him to develop, but what do you see him doing in a few years' time? Yeah, I mean, and because you have you have a guy, well, you had Tuchel who obviously played him, now you have Bosch who's... who's I think even more uh, high on not just him, but on playing younger players, given yeah. his background. Uh, so I do think, I, I agree with you that, I, that for the next couple of years, I think he would be well served to continue. But there's also part of me that says, look, if we are ever going to have that American superstar, at some point that person has to get to a place where they are yeah. playing for one of those elites and some of those some of those teams that no matter some not, no matter what your biases are um, you recognize if the guy's playing for that team then they are good and they are they are considered one of the best and so uh, it, part of me is, I don't know I mean part of me wants to see that happen maybe sooner rather than later but I also don't want to put him into a situation that he's not prepared for although this is a kid that it's not a kid I mean the way he plays he's <laughs> yeah. been he's, he's been 
been pretty incredible in handling on and off the field the pressure and living up to it. So I'll be interested. But I think you're you're legitimately looking at a guy who is going to attract interest from the biggest clubs in the world. That's a wonderful thing for him. It's a wonderful thing, thing for American soccer. And then at that point, now you're playing around and being surrounded by the best. And there's competition, but it also means when you step on the field, we could po- possibly see an even better version of Christian Pulisic, which I think excites me and should excite everybody. I'm a massive Barcelona fan. I take him, and not just because he's an American. I think maybe not quite yet, but eventually he he could could walk into any team in the world. Uh, Another listener question. Um... Do you want to read it? Yeah, I have a two-part listener question from two listeners, both about uh, current USMNT. So from Stephen okay. Jacobson, he wants to know, in next week's qualifier with Panama, with Brooks out and Cameron unlikely, would Alexi consider suiting up? That's part one. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they got enough problems, all right? Then I'd have to yell at myself, and it would be— <laughs> All right. No, then, listen, uh, but, but, but I, will, I will say this. I think that, that, yes, there's some injuries here and there, but what we've just been talking about is we're in 2017, and Bruce Arena back in 2002 uh, took the, the U.S. national team, what, a handball possibly away from going to a semifinal uh, with incredible talent. But he used every bit of that talent. I think if you look at his 2002 roster, he, there's only one guy, I think, that actually didn't even get on the field, which is amazing in itself. Uh, when it comes to the talent that he has right now, with all of those things that we've been talking about, it, it's unprecedented. And he's got to figure out a way to get the best 11 on that, on that field. That, and it's not the best 11 players. It's the best that work together as an 11. And he still has, whether it's you know a Beasler and an Omar Gonzalez, who people sometimes for, for, forget for, that for Jurgen Klinsmann, that was the starting pair leading up to the World Cup. I know it didn't finish that way, but th- these are some guys with with great experience. They are quality players. And once again, we are playing Panama. This is inferior competition. We have to go out there from that first whistle. I would look to see this team, whatever 11 is out there, put their foot down on Panama, not let them up, get the first goal, and then from there, kiss, keep going. And I, and I, I look for a real rebound, if you will, in terms of not just the scoreline, but the way in which that scoreline comes in uh, next week in Orlando against Panama. I agree, but I think our national team, we can definitely be complacent, even though we're not, in the terms of world national teams, we're not the highest, but mm-hmm. we're one of the two superpowers, I would say, in this region, us in Mexico. Uh, Costa Rica's coming up on us, but I think... Do you think we might end up being complacent against Panama, knowing they are inferior on a talent level, and maybe collapse? Uh, I don't think that. They, yeah, I, I don't think that they will be complacent, and I don't think that if, and I don't think that they will come out in the same. Uh, let's say the, the the same posture that we saw before on those two games uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and I don't, because I think that there will be an acknowledgement both individually and collectively that there is no room right now for, compla- uh, yeah. com- uh, for being complacent. And, 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 I, and what's interesting is that over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've seen this, um, this notion floated out there that for the good of American soccer, it would, all, it would almost be better if we didn't qualify. And I completely reject that and yeah. disagree with that. I do not think that we need that that mirror put up in front of us. We know exactly what we are and we know exactly what we aren't. You don't need to tell us what the problems are. We know what the problems are, the mistakes that we have made, and it would be incredibly detrimental to the sport to not qualify. Would we still survive? Yes. And will we come back stronger? Of course, but I believe we'd get to that stronger point faster by using 
using that platform, and we are not in a point, I think, in terms of the development of so- of, of men's soccer, mm. where we where we can afford to waste that opportunity that is the World Cup. Let me ask you about development of young American players. So there mm-hmm. are a lot of theories as to why the U.S. is not a bigger soccer powerhouse than it is considering its size, wealth, and prowess at other sports. I know some people say, you know, obviously there are many, many, many different things about how players are raised, treated, trained, et cetera, here than in Europe, South America, et cetera. What are, what are your theories? And again, I don't mean to denigrate the, the accomplishments of the U.S. men's sure. national team, but if you compare our performance in soccer to other sports, you know, kind of Olympic level or World Cup level, and again, considering that a lot of people now play soccer, we are a big country, what do you think are the things that need to happen or should happen, and do you think they will? Well, of course, I would like more people to be playing soccer, uh, but there are a lot of people playing soccer, yeah, and are. a lot of times people will say, what if our best athletes played soccer? And I say, well, maybe our best athletes do play soccer. Yeah. Uh, so, and and what a soccer athlete needs may be different than other sport. And maybe we look at these these great athletes that we have in other sports, and we say, well, what if he or she had played soccer? And we don't realize that maybe the attributes that are needed to be successful and to make that person one of the greats ever aren't necessarily the ones that we need for soccer. Now, I would love to see all of those athletes that we have all playing soccer. That's not necessarily uh, going to have. Now, when people ask me about America, keep in mind that I think that this is the most difficult place to develop. And because of the thing that makes us great as a country, I believe, is our diversity. But it also is the very thing that makes it so difficult to put together a soccer team. And it's because of the diversity of thought. If you go ask 100 people out there in the United States, all across the United States, what is the beautiful game? What does the beautiful game look like when it's played? You're going to get 100 very, very different answers. And so trying to put all of, the, all of that together and force everything together into one set system and one set philosophy is very, very difficult. And so in a certain way, and I know this runs counter to what we are as a country, I think that we have to make it almost more exclusive as opposed to inclusive. And that I know scares everybody, but maybe the best course in order to be the best soccer team is to articulate and define this is how we're going to play. This is how we're going to do it as opposed to trying to be everything to everybody and say, this is what we're going to do. And you're going to have to find a way to fit into that. And in doing so, we are going to recognize that there are going to be some very, very good players that just don't fit into that. And I know that 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 on on its surface says well that's that's not american and that's not what we what we're all about but i think we have to come to grips of the fact that we think about the game in so many different ways and that's a that's that's, that's not necessarily a bad thing but when you're putting together a team that can be incredibly difficult in order to get all of those different thoughts together to act as one so we should let you go in a minute um big question well first of all i think i should ask this I, mean, I should ask this question. Which question? <laughs> uh, the big question. What's the big question? About, Maybe next, you're... Summer, about next summer. <laughs> That's the big question, right? That is the big question, yeah. Do you want me to ask All right, it? go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Wait on me. we're thinking about going to Russia next summer for the World Cup. Do you think we should? Mm-hmm. I'm fully in. Why, why are you even thinking about it? That's why, what it I think. should have been we, done. We, you should... Thank you. <laughs> Tickets are on sale now. I mean, are you are you worried, like, security-wise? Not is at all. A, nah, we're not cowards. We're many things, but we're not cowards. <laughs> okay. I, I, no, I don't I think, see any reason why not to. Oh, are you worried because you don't know if the U.S. is going to be there? 
I'll, I would go without them. Basically, he's worried that I'm not going to, like, pull the trigger and spend the money. That's what he's yeah. worried about. That's oh. the only worry. Look, <laughs> look. I, I tell everybody, whether the U.S. is there or not, at, at some you point go, you, should be, you should go to a World Cup. And, and whether you like soccer or not, it is a world party. Yeah. And in a very different way than an Olympics. And I've been, I've covered and I've played in, in both of them. And it is so unique and so different. And, and I know, look, we talk about Russia all the time right now. I grew up. This might, this, I've, never, I've been all over the world. I've never been to Russia. I look, I'm, mm. I'm looking so forward to going to Russia because, as I said, I, I grew up in that 70s and 80s where Russia was this big, bad wolf. And I'm looking, I'm looking forward to getting there and being able to compare and contrast and to have my own personal version of what Russia is. And look, it's 2017. We're still talking about Russia in different ways. <laughs> so I think that it's going to be a wonderful celebration of that country. It's going to expose a lot of people to a country that a lot of people don't know a whole lot about or just know it from afar. And from a soccer perspective, there is nothing like a World Cup. And it brings people together. It obviously creates all of those different stories on the field. But for me, having gone to World Cups, as a player, as a fan, I've gone as a fan in 1990. I was there with my face painted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously as a broadcaster, there is nothing like it. If you get a chance to do it, do it. Don't you? I, I guarantee you won't regret it. Uh, Dad, quick question. Yeah. Credit card number, I'd mind them playing tickets. <laughs> <laughs> Alexi, here's my question. If we make it to Russia... Uh, for the World Cup, which we very much hope to, can we uh, take you out for a nice meal of grilled octopus? That's a big question. A hundred percent. And and in return, you will visit our set, which is uh, we just announced yesterday for Fox. We're going to blow it out. It's going to be in Red Square. So I will oh, be wow. sitting there oh. with uh, with uh, with the Kremlin and and everything behind us. It's going to be so. And we're going to we're going to while you will be there, the people back home that are watching it are going to get treated to three hundred and fifty hours of uh. World Cup coverage. We're going to have morning mm. shows and. Afternoon shows and night shows and all this different stuff on Fox. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I can't wait to blow it out and have a have a wonderful party. You should see the very very happy look on my <laughs> I'm ready face. For it. He's summer. ready yeah. for it. Uh, Alexi Lalas, thank you so much. You're awesome, and uh, we can't thank you enough. And we wish you all the best in everything. Thank you, guys. So much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, Thanks. take care. So so Solomon, you weren't the biggest fan in the world of Alexi Lawless uh, in previous weeks. In fact, that's why we reached out to yeah. him because I thought it might be uh, worth uh, confronting, uh, you know, the guy that you thought was maybe a little too noisy in some way. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I could never figure out what your I objection was. You couldn't either? Just because he's a... Are you anti-ginger? I'm not anti-ginger. Well, what's your impression now? I like him a lot more. He was really good. He was really passionate, very knowledgeable, very intelligent. I think it was a great episode. I think he did really well. And I'm looking forward to our octopus meal. I'll tell you this. Are we doing our endings? Wallace's hair is way redder than you. Uh, (laughs) It's not footy for one. It's footy for two. Nice talking to you, buddy.